This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, to John chapter 6, verses 35 to 70. John chapter 6, verses 35 to 70. Let's remember as we hear this, this is God's word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. 
Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let me tell you something that all of us very likely already knows. There are some difficult truths in the Bible. At every time in history, at every place in history, there are things within the scripture that aggressively opposes our sensibilities to the point where it seems like those teachings need to be discarded or maybe even following after Jesus needs to be discarded. At the time of the early church, one of the claims that absolutely aggravated the broader church and made it so that people felt that they maybe needed to turn away, was the exclusive claim of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the time of the Roman Empire, the Romans had no issue allowing or approving of all manner of a wide variety of worship of different gods. Worship of ancient cultural deities was allowed. Sometimes the empire would even fund the construction of those temples for ancient pagan cultures. As long as the worship of those deities wasn't exclusive and the people that would be conquered by the Romans would also allow the worship of the Roman deities to take place within their culture and society. This first was a problem for Rome when they conquered the Jews and found that this was was the one people group that wasn't willing to give up its belief that there was one God and one God alone. There were generations and generations of opposition that happened on the part of the Romans against the Jews to try to wipe out the worship of the one true God. After generations and generations of opposition, Rome finally carved out religious exemptions only for the Jews because they alone in that ancient world were unwilling to capitulate until a new group of believers started to arise that called themselves Christians. This became another problem for the Roman Empire. Again, they claimed that there was only one God, and this group of believers was unwilling to follow Roman customs or do the things that good Romans did, like sacrifice to the gods or offer some incense to the emperor. There's a fascinating letter from a man named Pliny the Younger that was sent to the emperor Trajan in the year 112, when Trajan was the Roman Empire, a Roman emperor, And Pliny was a Roman governor. He notes in that letter that he had put a series of Christians to death. And he was making sure that that was cool with the emperor. 
he gave as a reason for why he put them to death their inflexibility. They were unwilling to offer to the gods. He was fine with them as long as they were willing to offer sacrifices to the gods. But since these Christians were unwilling to, he put them to death. Such inflexibility, he says in his letter, should not go unpunished. And the emperor wrote back and agreed. You've done well, the emperor said to Pliny. He said, continue to put them to death if they continue to be inflexible. But don't search them out. And if they're willing to just deny that they're Christians, let them go. That's all it'll take. Just a brief denial and an offering to the gods and they can go free. It's a letter that, uh, that a lot of historians say kind of lays the groundwork for the intense persecution of Christians that was going to follow in the Roman Empire for the next 200 or so years. It was an interesting letter to read again in preparation for this sermon. Specifically the fact that what really troubled Pliny was their exclusive truth claims. Their inflexibility. The fact that he believed them to be intolerant or obstinate. He also notes that when he sort of put it to people that all they had to do to sort of preserve their life was deny that Christ was God, that he said many of them were willing to deny Christ Jesus and then offer to the gods in order to save their lives. He rejoiced in this. He said it was a good thing for the empire that these people were not so inflexible, were not so intolerant, and they were able to preserve their lives. It was hard in the early church to continue trusting and following Jesus given this hard teaching that there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. At other times, there have been other commands, other truths, other aspects of Scripture that have been difficult for the culture to understand and have been hard for people to follow as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's been the universal command to love. At other times, the requirement of generosity or the radical nature of grace or the truth that every person is created in the image of God, no matter where it is that they are from. Within the passage that we just read, the fundamental problem was Jesus told the crowd that they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That was the teaching that was unacceptable to the crowd. At our present time, any one of those things, the message of John chapter 6, some of those other things that I've mentioned, any one of those might be a difficulty within our time, within our place, within our culture But let me give you three places where the truths offered in the Bible, offered from the Lord Jesus Christ, are in sharp conflict with the world around us. The first is the same as in Roman times. There are places where the scripture calls us to be utterly inflexible. And this is specifically true as it relates to the exclusive claim of salvation in Christ Jesus alone. Acts 4.12, I've mentioned it already. There's salvation in no one else 
other than the Lord Jesus, says Acts 4.12. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The second that's difficult for us in this present time is that the Bible lays out for us from Genesis to Revelation that sex was created by God and to be used within one context alone. And that's the union of a husband and wife in marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, Hold marriage in high esteem, all of you, and keep the marriage bed pure because God will judge those who commit sexual sins. That's too much for many at this time. And the last is that the culture will tell you that you belong to yourself and no one else. So you should set your own rules. You shouldn't let other people dictate anything about you or how you operate or live. That this is the very essence of freedom. The scripture tells us that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to our faithful savior, Jesus Christ. The difficulty that the crowd in John chapter 6 is facing is that the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ seems at best to them to be insane and at worst harmful or even evil. The message of the passage is an important one for us. Those who have been called by God see that Jesus is worth following even if his teaching is hard or seems crazy or harmful. These are the three sections. And I hope for us that we, uh, that we see in each one of these sections, first, the comfort of being kept. That's the first part in verse 35 to 45. Then I hope that we'll see the, the horror of the crowd at this difficult command that's offered. And last, I hope that we'll notice the beauty of trust. So let's first talk about the comfort in being kept. Last week, we talked about how Jesus offered himself to the people, and the crowd says that they want his benefits rather than him. Here, we see that the benefits that come from trusting in him far exceed and far excel any benefit of lunch that he miraculously is able to provide. Here's the promise that Jesus gives to each person who's in the crowd, and this morning to each one of us. That all of us who look to him in faith, that follow after him, he will raise up on the last day. The promise that he gives to each one of you, therefore, is eternal life. Life that will last forever and ever. Life that's lived to the fullest in the presence of the the creator of, of you and the whole universe. The most wonderful place to be in the presence of God and our Savior forever. This promise goes out to everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done or have failed to do. It doesn't matter what your mental state is right now. It doesn't matter how emotionally churned up you are or how at peace. It doesn't matter how healthy or unwell. It doesn't matter how liked you are or disliked. If you have an abundance of friends or are completely without them, if you turn to Jesus and believe in him, you will live forever. And then here is the amazing thing given to us by Jesus in John chapter 6. And everyone that the Father has determined will come to the Son eventually. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, never drive away. And then he says, I will lose none of those that the Father has given to me. But I will raise him up at the last day. Our God is so great and so powerful that he is going to claim everyone he has determined to claim. This should give you a lot of confidence. 
It should help you to know that God is never done with another person. I remember one time when I was in college, we went and we were playing, I played ultimate frisbee in college, I loved it. We went to a tournament in Florida and, uh, and we got to stay with one guy on the team, his name, I forget his real name, we all called him Goose. I don't remember what his real name was. We stayed with Goose's parents and they said that there was one requirement for us staying with them. We had to go picket a porn store that had just moved into their town. That was the one requirement for us staying with Goose's parents for that week. And so we all got signs, we all held them out the store and picketed them. And then there was a counter protest that showed up and people came with signs that made fun of all the people that were holding up signs calling people to sexual purity. And I remember there were a whole group of people at Goose's church. Again, I wish I knew his name because it sounds ridiculous that I'm telling you Goose's church, but that is the only name I remember for him. Jonathan was his name at Jonathan's church. There were people that came, and when those counter-protesters came and showed up and started making fun of us, they wore, like, crazy costumes, like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, when they started making fun of us, what one woman in the church said is, hey, don't be afraid. God's not done with them yet. He's using this time to draw them to himself. Those are probably future pastors. There are future pastors in that crowd right there, and God's using this time to draw them to himself. And there was a, a piece about this wiser, older woman that was greatly encouraging to me, who as a college student did not much like being made fun of by a crowd that had gathered to counter-protest against us. God's not done yet. He's still doing his work claiming those who as, as of right now are enemies to him. You know, you might be here this morning and completely without faith, You came here maybe because it's Thanksgiving weekend. You wanted to keep peace within the family. I understand. I've got to tell you that if God wants to get you, he's going to come and turn your life around. It's going to be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. It'll be the most challenging thing as well. Here's the beauty for all of you who are trusting in Christ Jesus right now. If you trust in him, he will never let you go. Christ Jesus says that he won't allow one person to slip away from his grasp. If the Father gives you to Jesus, he will hold on to you and bring you to completion. He'll take you throughout all of this life in the midst of all of the ups and the downs. He'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and through the doorway of death. He'll hold on to you in life and in death and bring you in the presence of the Father. And what he assures you in John chapter 6 is that he will not let you go. God has got you. God has got you. Christ Jesus is holding on to you. And that should give you an astoundingly beautiful confidence. Jesus has got you. And he will not let you go. And here's the way that we're drawn Jesus says near the end of this first section, they will all be taught by God. They'll all be taught by God. That's verse 45, and they will all be taught by God. Here's the way that we're drawn. God teaches us. Now, you might hear that and be like, well, I hated school, so this does not sound all that great to me. I don't want another teacher. Let me just ask you to consider this for a moment. There are times where, where you come to understand something. The light turns on and everything fits into place. And it doesn't matter how much you like or dislike school. If you experience that moment where the light goes on and you finally understand something, 
It might be something that you're learning in a book. It might be something that you're learning in terms of how you're using your hands. It might be, it might be something athletic. It might be something musical. But at that moment where you finally get it, where it finally falls into place, that's one of the most beautiful times where you realize, I get it. I haven't gotten it up to this point, and I finally understand. And, and that's what happens when we come to a saving faith in Jesus. There's going to come to this place where we realize, I get it. It all finally falls into place. Everything, everything, everything makes sense now. C.S. Lewis once said, I understand, I trust in God like I trust in the sun. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Lewis realized when he came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it made sense of everything. He was taught by God. And coming to faith in Jesus made the rest of life make sense for him. And there's this moment, there's this beautiful moment where we finally get it. It may be that we hear the gospel message over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, at one time, we finally understand and everything changes. The light goes on. We're taught by God. And we come to a saving faith in Jesus. I heard the testimony of one Christian leader. He said that that he had opposed God for his whole life. And he finally, finally felt that he was being drawn by God. He went into a church. He saw an image of a dove, which is a a representation of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I saw that. And in an instant, he said, I understood. I understood all at once. God created the world, that God was good, that his ways were right, that I was in sin, that he had sent Jesus, that I needed to trust in Jesus, that this was the only way to be saved, that the Holy Spirit would preserve me. He said, in an instant, it all clicked. And I was a Christian. And he's still to this day, a Christian leader. God will teach you And Christ will hold on to you and will not let you go. Should be a compelling truth for us today. So Jesus has said that, and then he gives this very difficult command. And it horrifies the crowd. It's a hard word here from the Lord Jesus. Let me just read to you. Let me read to you from John chapter 6, maybe the center of what is difficult here. Verses 43 and 44. So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is a hard teaching here. Let's admit how difficult it is. It's difficult for us, and we have the benefit of reading it now after Christ's death and resurrection. There are important things for us to understand as we take a look at this passage. The first is this. John has, throughout the Gospel of John, been pointing people, using, using concrete examples to point to spiritual realities. He did it when he talked to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. And his question was, well, how can I re-enter my, my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, I'm talking about the spirit. He was using these physical realities to illustrate spiritual realities. You need to be born again by the spirit. Then the disciples go and get food, and Jesus is at the well. He's talking to the woman at the well, and the disciples come back, and he says, listen, I have food that you don't know about, and they're like, where did he get that food? And Jesus is like, I'm talking about doing the will of my father. He's using food to illustrate this spiritual reality. So as we've worked our way through John, we should understand that he's making use of these physical realities to illustrate spiritual truths. So that should help us to think about this. 
Here's the other thing. John, more than any other gospel writers, loves to hint at what's going to happen at the end of the book. He loves to give you little hints of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to be happening. And as he offers this here in John chapter 6, we should understand that he is going to be instituting the Lord's Supper. We're going to be celebrating that in our time together this morning. And so Jesus is going to hold out bread and say, this is my body, and hold out the cup and say, this is the blood of the new covenant. And John is directing us in that way. The last thing is... Maybe the most technical, but I think it's worth saying that verse 47, when he talks about believing in him and having eternal life, the construction of the sentence is exactly the same as when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood and you'll have eternal life. And this has what has, is what has led people like St. Augustine, this great man, to say, believe and you've eaten. That the point is Jesus is directing them towards belief. Believing this incredibly difficult teaching, this incredible hard teaching, we'll believe it. Whatever that means, we're going to believe and continue following because we understand something about you, and that is that you give eternal life and no one else does, so we're here still. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.